Hey folks, Eric here. Before we get this episode started, I just wanted to let you know of a couple ways you can help the show out. Follow us on Twitter at TrekAboutShow, like us on Facebook by searching for TrekAbout on Facebook, and the best way to help the show out would be to review us on iTunes. Now let's get this show started. All right, it's the second season of The Next Generation. Yep. Are you happy to see your old friend Beverly Crow? Wait. It's like they said, look, one of the crushers has to go. Nobody likes him. And they're like, all right, yeah, you're right. Beverly sucks and just missed the point. I wanted to jump right into this because I know that Beverly Crusher, I think, is your favorite character yes. of the show so far. And now she is gone. I mean, so, I know that she comes back. Like, that. that's the... Yeah. Um, the point when they... Like, I thought it was funny. Like, the whole episode, they're teasing. Like, Wesley's going to go for way forever. We're never going to see him again. And I'm like, I'm ready for this. This is going to happen. And then Whoopi Goldberg's like, no, you should stay. And it's like, fuck you, Whoopi. Why would you do that? It's also what Ted Danson told her after they got divorced. That was Ted Danson in that role? Yeah. I really don't recognize people. I can't tell who's playing what character. I mean, how do you feel about this, though, honestly? because um, number I think okay. it's a stupid decision, especially because the new character they get to replace Crusher is... I find Dr. Pulaski an interesting character. I don't. Well, I find her interesting because she is the worst possible character for this ship. Yes. Like, she is... Watching her in this, these two episodes, you get the sense that she's probably a very good medical researcher. Like, especially in the – which was the one with the disease? That was the – The child. Yeah. Um, you know, she looks at the data about it. She's able to tell some properties about it. She can – you know – I think it, you mean data. <laughs> um, and in this – you know, in the second episode, when she's confronted with a medical problem, she's able to analyze it. She's able to see it. And she's – again, she's probably an excellent researcher. She doesn't have horrible bed by, bedside manner. You know, she is trying to be a doctor, but she doesn't have great bedside manner. She's not a warm and fuzzy person, which is not a problem. But for this particular ship, for this particular crew, for these particular group of people, she's not really a good fit. I she, I, I don't disagree with you as we see her in the two episodes yeah. that we're talking about, but... I would reserve judgment until you see more episodes. I was going to say, and of course, I've seen two episodes with her. The interesting thing about that, well, there's a couple, I mean, there's the show. Okay. The, the, the thing here is that the show is really starting to feel like itself in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, for, for me as a Star Trek fan, the second season, you know, Riker's got a beard. Yeah. Worf and Geordi are both in Operation Colors now. They're in the gold. That was actually a question that I had. Why is security wearing gold right now? He's not. A, he's well. Because not only did um, was the, Worf wearing gold, the two officers he had with they him they never gold. they never explain it, but um, they, uh, security was wearing gold in last season as well. Was Ta- it? Tasha Yar was in gold, a gold yeah. uniform. Okay. Um, they never explain why they switched the colors. Uh, but it does make sorry. It does make sense for Yar to wear gold because technically she is the head of a, you know, that is an officer's uniform. I kind of, I guess if I noticed it, I assumed that she was. You're talking yourself into a corner. You don't know what you're talking about. No, really, it's just that um, uh, 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 Patrick Stewart didn't look good in gold. That's the answer. Huh. And so they switched the colors between command and operations. Yeah. That's it. Okay. That's the answer. They don't ever explain it in the show. That's just how it is from now on. It's a... Um, But, you know, so we have... 
you know, Riker has his beard. Worf and Jordy are in gold. Uh, Jordy's the chief engineer. Um, you know, Ten Forward is there. Guinan is there. The the chairs and ops and and navigation are not no longer reclining. So so they're kind of like they look normal. Yeah. Um. This the show at least you know in in this very first episode of the season. It it looks a lot different, and it looks different in yeah. really ways that make me feel inclined to like the show more than I did in the first season, just because it looks like the show that I like more now. Well, it's reminding um, me of how, like, the third season of the original series got a kind of a different look to it in some ways, and, you know, which was, of course, a problem for it. It didn't look like itself. This is... Some very and there's some very subtle production things they've done, but yeah, I, I can. It's definitely a different looking show. It's a it's, different feeling show. Yeah, and they even changed some of the uh, colors on the bridge. They they got rid of some of sort of like the the pattern effects and the hallways and things like yeah. that. So it looks less 80s, I think, as well, which is interesting. Um, but I say this all in pre in, in preface to a discussion about Doctor Pulaski because. You know, I've never really heard a, 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 a concrete answer for why they asked Gates McFadden to leave the show. They obviously did because she left the show. I've heard various things about she was hard to work with. I heard various huh. things like somebody didn't like her on staff. I've heard that somebody, you know, hit on her and she didn't respond well. I've heard a lot of different things. I don't know there which of them there some are. some kind of behind the scenes thing that no one's talked about is the right. thing. And, you know, I tend to go with the theory that they were trying to fix the show and they decided to go in the most uncreative route yeah. possible, which was to create Dr. McCoy again. I was about to say that's and, the, the, yeah. And also try not only, you know, not only recreate the character of Dr. McCoy, but uh, make him different because she's a woman, obviously. Yeah. And also try and recreate some sort of rivalry between McCoy and Spock, which in this case is Pulaski and Data. So, you have this strange thing where it doesn't she doesn't fit in the show that this is. I agree with you. Yeah. She is an outlier in this show. I mean, we talk about how there's kind of different federations in the the last generation versus this and she is, you know, she's old school. Right. She would have fit in probably very well on the enter, in the original enterprise. Right. Right. She's combative. She she kind of doesn't do things by yeah. the book. I mean, you know, she and McCoy would have gotten along famously. They would have worked probably I mean, unless they disagreed with each other, but they have similar if this personalities. Was a, if this was a 1990s Joss Whedon show, McCoy and Pulaski would have slept together by yeah. now. Um, I think, you know, the, and uh, you know, even to the point where at the very beginning of the episode, Picard asks where she is and she's down in 10 forward. She hasn't reported in. Yeah. And Picard goes down there to basically berate her and say, what are you doing? And she, it turns out that she's working because she's talking to yeah. Troy and trying to comfort her and try and find out exactly why Troy is pregnant. Yeah, you get the sense but, that she came upon Troy like within the first five minutes of yeah. landing on the ship and she's like, all right, we need to work on this. You yeah. Know? But but it's a, it's a very it's a very bad introduction to the character. Yeah. You know, the child in general is a bad introduction to the character because, you know, they they the way that you don't like the way that you don't get the audience to like a new character is to make her really hostile and mean for no apparent reason to one of the more likable characters uh, on the show, which is Data. You know, she misinter she mispronounces his name. She makes fun of him. You know, she says, oh, you have feelings. But in, in Where Silence Has Lee, she she calls him it. And it just comes across as you know, yeah. it, it, why is she acting like an asshole? Like, yeah. this is Data. We like Data. You get I, I don't the sense get it. That, I mean, like, Data isn't really taking it that seriously. And, 
you know, I don't think he's genuinely that bothered by her behavior. But, you know, part of it is because on the show, everybody, not only the, he knows he has the audiences and the crew's favor. But like, I think, in a way. but I, but I, but I don't think you're taking it far enough. No. It comes across as bullying. That's because, it. Like, like, she comes across as a racist who's very, making her first tentative steps towards being less racist but because you know she's the, the, still a racist and it's not as cute as when mccoy did it and they're obviously trying to recreate that in this in the mccoy spock relationship with this but it doesn't work because it's based on a fundamental misunderstanding of the mccoy and spock relationship which is that they both like each other and they're both yeah. colleagues and they both will die for each other and mccoy is yeah, M- McCoy is a little bit of a racist. McCoy is a little bit of an asshole. Um, McCoy is a little bit of a hothead. And he insults Spock all the time. But Spock isn't really bothered by it. But 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 you have to take that one step further. Spock also finds it amusing and gives as good as he I was going to say that's... And, they, and in here, in these two episodes, Data just seems sort of like bewildered by it yeah. and doesn't say anything. And it's like, how can you be... How how can you like get any satisfaction out of this at all? It's kind of like making fun of a puppy. Well, like, can I go further with this? We've seen how McCoy reacts to data. And he yeah. reacts very differently. So I mean, like, we've already seen that McCoy acts fairly pleasantly towards That's data. True. And now we have his replacement who is acting like a total asshole to him. Yeah. So yeah. um Yeah, no, they 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 do have the I mean, there are a few moments. There is that moment late in the series, and I don't remember exactly when it is when Spock calls you know McCoy to task for it. We have that moment when they think Kirk is dead, and they kind of deal with their relationship together. We have all of that. I am fairly sure, knowing that I know that you know Pulaski does not stay, and that you know Doctor Crusher does come back. Knowing all of that, I don't hold much hope for the two of them coming to a heart to heart. Just because right. I don't know where they would fit it in. I don't know how much longer she stays, but I don't – I assume it's not – she doesn't stay much past this season if she even makes it the full season. Yeah, and she – She's not a main cast member, I No, believe. she's not, and that was uh, uh, because of the actress. Um, she did not want to be a main cast member for, for some reason. I don't know why. Huh. Uh, she appears, I think, in most of the episodes of yeah. the second season. Um, she's treated as a main cast member even though she's really yeah. not. And And, you know – Well, see, here's what was funny to me because – I did not. I did not know she that she was, you know, a regular recur or whatever role she was. I didn't when I first. I never heard of her before this episode, and so I thought she was kind of the bad guy. Maybe like maybe she had something to do with this alien child, or she was. I was ready for the episode to reveal. Oh, she was secretly behind it the whole time, and you know that's interesting. Yeah, and you know, so I'm you know because she starts in this kind of shady thing she immediately finds out the mysterious pregnancy of the ship's counselor that is not the first thing you are going to find on a ship as big as the enterprise how would she immediately gravitate towards that you know what i mean like i think it's a little funny that that's where she goes immediately upon landing yes well i think troy would be in the med base certainly yeah i I mean i just i think that that's probably what we're supposed to assume is that she's there because troy went to sick bay well either way you know again there's a reasonable explanation more logical, I thought, okay, well, she's the evil guest star for this episode, and then once they figure it out, she'll be gone, and then maybe they'll have at the end, you know, Dr. Crusher returns. I thought that's what was going to happen at the end of the episode anyway, or that in the next episode that, you know, Pulaski would – they would have figured out an excuse. You know, maybe 
Gates McFadden was sick the week they were doing the premiere or something, you know. That's really where I thought they were going with it. Again, just as I was surprised that they killed Yar off for real because I didn't realize it would happen like that, I'm surprised they kept Pulaski on, I guess. I can see that. And uh, I deliberately am not going to tell you how long she sticks around. You'll just have to find out for yourself. You know, yeah, and that's something I only know from having watched the last season or last couple seasons because, you know, I know that Dr. Crusher is obviously there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's leave this aside for a minute and and let's talk about the the sort of ostensible main plot of the episode, though, because uh, Uh, it's a little interesting. And I I do want to give a little background uh, just for Richard's sake and I guess the listeners as well, if you don't know this. But, um, you know, so so uh, one of the reasons, you know, there was a a writer strike in 1988 and it ran from, uh, I believe, March until August. So it was quite a long writer strike and it basically started at the tail end of the first season Mm. of the next generation so um it affected the first season quite a bit and the second season (laughs) yeah and the second season of the next generation started a couple months late it actually didn't start until november because of this okay because they they couldn't get scripts uh worked on um, so the child was actually a, a retreatment of a phase two script um, where Aaliyah was going to be pregnant by an alien entity and it was going to take over the Enterprise or something, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I don't really know. I've actually read the original script, and it doesn't really yeah. have anything to do with this. I was actually wondering if that was the character that, and which I think is, you know, I assume they would make a deal about the fact that she's taken a vow of celibacy, and that was part of her note in the movie. I, I would assume so, yeah. yeah. But anyway. Um, I'm, just, I'm surprised you remember that. Good for you. Hey, I'm awesome. Um, but what I read was that the, the, the person who wrote this script, um, took the main idea from it, but didn't actually read the original script. And I can definitely see that as the case because this really doesn't have anything to do with the original script of the child, aside from the fact that someone gets pregnant, someone gets pregnant by an alien. So, you know, and, and it's, it's a weak script. I mean, I don't want to get, I don't want to get around it. It's, it's, it's. It's not a very good episode, but it it definitely has its charms, mostly because everything seems fresh and new. Um, But it doesn't really have an ending. It doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't really say anything. And it doesn't seem to really have much purpose for existing other than there's a writer strike. We need to do something. Well, you know, the thing with both this and the next episode, which, uh, you know, they, the, and we'll talk about this, of course, more on the next, the next felt even more beginning like an original series episode. And yet both of them at around the half to three, two thirds mark suddenly veer off in a very, un, to me, in a very unexpected direction, or they, you know, this one in particular ended in a way that I didn't, think that it would in a more frankly a more interesting way not a completely interesting way not an on its own interesting way but well i think you can see the show and the writers getting trying to be something yeah well i i I don't know about that but i think just getting more comfortable with with juggling different plot lines Mm -hmm. and you know tying them in together better that was it the two plots at least connected very much in the end and not in a way which again like I, I these two these are two uncompletely unrelated incidents that just happen to you know happen on the same day and you know they only affect each other because of a quirk of science or whatever it's not like you know well this child was in to destroy the enterprise and he's letting you know free the biology or something like that or you know the kid himself is a bioweapon or something like that like I thought that they would have gone some kind of 
like that. And then again, it just turns out to be kind of unrelated and it just happens to affect that. Um, yeah. And I mean, I guess you could also make the, the, the case that, uh, the, the sort of, I guess the C plot of the episode, if we can call it that, um, of Wesley deciding whether or not he wants to stay on the enterprise, uh, kind of ties into, you know, the Troy plot as well, because of course, you know, Wesley is apart from his mother. There's some kind of issue there. And at the same time, Troy has become a mother and is, is very attached to her son. Um, um, even though he's growing up at an exponential rate, yeah. he's eight years old in a day or whatever. So there is kind of like an interesting, you know, there, there's some kind of interesting juxtaposition there. I don't know that the episode does much with it, but it is yeah. at least there. And I guess that's good. I find Troy very interesting in this episode because she does act a little more, I guess, attached than one would. But given what happens to her over the course of two, three days, it's. It's totally on, uh, understandable that she's kind of a little going a little crazy in this episode. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I mean, which let's... anyone would. She had a ba- a painless baby in two days, and now it's dead. <laughs> right, and I guess you know, and 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 you know, the episode never states this, and I I think it's a good thing probably because I don't think that the episode would have handled it well. But you know, it, it basically, Troy was raped and. Ian yeah. is, is the child of rape. I mean, so so that's a little weird too. You know, I uh, thought Troy, were... Troy was basically violated. I I wouldn't call it rape because it. Are you about to say that you can't rape someone who's asleep because you can? No, because she was directly seated. I would say it's about as much of a. It's about as rapey as artificial insemination is. Now, yes, did she consent to this pregnancy? No, but was it a – I can't consider it a rape because it was not about the raping. It was about the the pregnancy in a way. I mean I don't want to oversell Again, it, it was point. I think it's a minor point. It's but, a semantic point more than but, anything. But I think the real, the real takeaway from that is more here is a concrete example that she is living with day to day that she is really attached to, really loves – and is changing exponentially all the time, uh, which is a concrete example of something really creepy that happened to her. And so oh, I think yeah. if you take those two things in oh. tandem, she is going a little nuts. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I, I'm not in any way saying that this was the best day for her and that she w- you know, would have chosen this. I think if you had said to the, her at the beginning, gee, do you want to, you know, maybe she would have the curiosity to go through that. Like, she, I don't think that she, at the end considers this to be a bad experience she does consider herself to have learned something from this or gotten something valuable from it yet at the same time i don't think that i think she would have chosen to you know have a couple easy days you know if she had the choice well this is the thing that i thought was really interesting is um you know a lot of therapists are in therapy yeah and to deal with you know a kind of day in day out dealing with very emotional uh, issues yeah. and 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 sort of like you know with with uh, with people that they don't really know um, with their patients and so it made me think like in this episode you know Troy is very emotionally vulnerable yeah. right now she's she's in sort of emotional the watch, tumult yeah who who is her therapist I mean I, I don't I, I'm assuming that there's another therapist on the ship I think I would have kind of liked to have seen that episode you know seen that episode or seen that scene where she talks to her therapist about this because you know. It it it's on the one hand I don't again I don't know if the episode I don't know if the the script would have done it justice but on the other hand I think it would have been 
a nice moment for the character. And I think it would have really gone a long way towards kind of externalizing a lot of what we're talking about because the episode doesn't really do anything with it. Well, here's something very interesting. Um, As far as what anybody we have seen anybody doing on the ship, Guinan is a much more better competent therapist than Who? Troy is. Guinan? Well, how do you pronounce Guinan. Did you call her Guinan? I don't know how to pronounce these things. Guinan. Guinan. Guinan is a much more interesting therapist than Troy is. I mean, the... I think that that's... A, I, I I like that she's all cryptic and mystery to Wesley, but, you know, she is talking to him in a way that she basically tells him how to go about solving his problem or thinking about his problem in a way. Like, we've never really seen... We've seen the occasional where, you know, Troy comes up to somebody or someone's talking to Troy and, you know, she does counsel them. She does talk about their problem. But I don't know. Guinan's advice seems a bit more interesting to listen to. Well, okay. Just because it's—I mean, she's a bit more poetic about it. She's a bit more— I don't know. It's it's a bit more oblique the way she does it. Um I think I, there's a I think there's a couple things there. Number one, you know, we, we haven't seen Troy in a one on one counseling yeah. session yet. We will see that later. I mean we've um, seen like when she went up to Jordy and she was saying, you know, oh here's how you deal with your ensigns and like yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. mainly the and of course when she was with uh what's his name that killed Yar. Um I think, you know, there's there's something here which is that Guinan benefits from not being a main cast member. And what I mean by that is they can make her a little bit more mysterious. They can make her a little bit, you know, have a little bit more bite to her. And they don't need to explain everything about her. And they can make her talk, you know, in these sort of like riddles and and things that don't really make a lot of sense but sound really good. Yeah, and they even avoid her background quite, you know, Wesley asks her, you know, oh, they say you're from that, and she's like, oh, where do they say I'm from, you know, and then he gets called away and they just, you know, completely drop that topic of conversation. Guinan, I I mean, I will say Guinan's a very interesting character. She gets very interesting very quickly. Um, You know, she's she's not in a majority of the episodes, but but the ones that she's in, she's, she's usually very good. And you know, I don't want to denigrate Marina Sirda. She's a fine actor, but mm, at the she's same time, she's not Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. Exactly. Whoopi Goldberg has a screen presence that is amazing. And, and this was also probably her at her. This was when she was at her peak. Absolutely. Wise. Yeah. I mean, this was, you know, Ghost and, and, and those kind of things. So, you know, it was a kind of in that era. Yeah. Um, you know, I was watching a lot of Whoopi Goldberg movies on TV, uh, you know, while I was ill a few weeks ago. And, you know, I really it was really amazing to me. Like she if you like Whoopi Goldberg, she was really good in the yeah. late 80s and early 90s. Sister Act, all of those things. Absolutely. So if you look at it in those terms. Yeah, I, there's there's no comparison, really. And also knowing the backstory about how she loved Star Trek as you know, I know that she loved Star Trek as a kid. And that was kind of uh, seeing what Michelle Nichols was kind of one of the yeah. reasons she got into acting. So it's really you could tell that she is you also could tell she's having the time of her life being on the Enterprise. And also we we would not have gotten 10 forward without Whoopi Goldberg, you know. So, I mean, the 10 forward. Oh, that she wanted yeah. there to be a bar? Well, no, it was more that um they this is, you know, she uh, the story is that she 
approached Gene Roddenberry at some point and, and, and expressed interest yeah. in being on the show. And I think Gene Roddenberry sort of thought she was kidding and never did anything with it, which then later on she was like, no, I'm really serious. I want to be on the show. Yeah. Um, so they, they created this character for her, which, you know, and, and then they decided they, you know, they wanted her to be a bartender yeah. because bartenders listen and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they created the set of 10 Forward. So okay. and 10 Forward becomes like a really integral part of the show. Which so, is interesting because I can't remember what it looks like having seen it in this episode. It's not exactly a visually dis- iconic location like the bridge or like the. I would disagree with you. At actually, point, I just I just think that they haven't shot it. Well I was going to say, that, but 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 that's I I will take that. I, I figured part shooting part maybe they just will decorate it better in later episodes. Yeah, you know? it's it, 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 that was just a total production design. This felt like. They might have not have even known how long this would go. You know, they fig- might figure, oh, she does this for half a season and then she... And then she goes away, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't disagree with you that, that in this episode she does give better advice um, than Troy. And at the same time, I think she doesn't because Wesley is still on the show. <laughs> so there is that. Well, Wesley, I, I, I think it's really funny how Wesley is very into her. Like, you caught that, right? I did. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't. I. I don't necessarily blame him at this point, given that you know an older woman who listens is certainly going to be alluring to a sixteen-year-old wearing but, cool hats. Yeah. Let's not forget. Oh yeah. And, oh, I thought that was her hairstyle. I did like the one scene though when they're talking and you know they're looking at the stars and you know she's like, oh, what do you see out there? And they're looking. And then just this really quick moment where it just jumps to warp for a couple seconds and it stops and it's, you know, they don't really comment on it or seem to. I liked that a lot, actually, because it's suddenly, I don't know if we've ever seen warp in that context. We've always seen it either from externally outside the ship or on the bridge. We've never seen how just someone who's relaxing in their quarters experiences warp. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. You know, it just like it's like a bit of turbulence or something. It also smells like jelly beans. Does it? What I liked about this episode most are the space puppies. Space puppies. And I will just have to say that uh, I find it shocking that Picard had never played with I puppies. Never played with puppies. I, I, he's a monster. <laughs> basically, uh, I want him off this show. No, maybe it's not that he never I wanted think... to play with puppies. He just never had the opportunity to play with puppies. I don't know about that. I, get, I mean, if I had you, never, we've met his mother. Do you think I, his mother ever had puppy days for the young Jong Luke? If I had never played with puppies, I would go fucking find a puppy to play with immediately because puppies are awesome. Yes, but the you know the heavy is the head that wears the crown, and he doesn't have time for puppies, which is the tragedy of Picard's life. That's sad. I see it as a tragic moment. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah. Well, speaking of tragedy, it's time to grade this episode. Okay. I would give this episode five and a half space puppies, actually. Okay. I give it five. It's an average episode. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to where silence has lease, which is, yeah. I'm just going to say that the, so the Netflix description of this has something to the effect of, you know, when the Enterprise moves into, I just glanced at it and I saw lease and move in and I thought this was going to be a very different episode. Where, like, I figure, all right, two of the characters move in together and get a lease, and it's going to be a really bad time. And... A, a, a lease on a starship. Yes. Uh-huh. I in, don't in, mean... a, in a socialist society with no money. You didn't really think about this, did you? Listen, I've gotten leases with no money. Okay. Uh, I would just like to inform you of one fact that will probably blow your mind. 
Um, uh, the guy that wrote this episode wrote one other thing for Star Trek. Can you take a wild guess what it was? You got one guess. Time's up. Oh. The Wrath of Khan. Really? Really. Huh. I don't know what happened to him. I assume that he had some sort of traumatic brain injury. I loved the kaiju battle at the beginning. That was fun. Oh, when they were fighting characters from He-Man? I would say they were fighting Skeletor and the Gorn, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, It's weird because this episode is demonstrably not great, but it's also not boring well that was it like i i because i was about to say like i i i wouldn't go so i liked this episode a lot more than you did but i can't say it was a great episode but i think it goes along again with the episode went into a more interesting or at least a more complex direction than i expected it to I, i didn't realize how long was left in the episode so at the part when Nagilam, you know, reveals himself and is like, oh, I'm a scientist. And I thought, all right, this is going to be the usual Trek thing where they learn a little bit about each other and they go. And then he's like, I'm going to start killing you and see what happens. I'm like, oh, okay," You know, like that. I thought that was not the direction I thought it would go in. The way the episode ended was not the direction I thought it would go in. In a for better or for worse, I was surprised by it. And yeah, I don't think I was necessarily bored by it. I, I like the end quite a bit. I think the last 10 minutes are pretty strong. I think Nagilam's um, a creepy villain. But I just wish that he had found something more interesting to fill uh, the preceding 30 minutes yeah. with. It, it, there's, there's really only about you know 10 or 15 minutes of actual plot in this episode. And the rest of it is is them trying to figure out what exactly is going on. And they don't do a very good job of it. I mean, they, they, they you know... They seem sort of incompetent at it and in in weird ways because usually in this kind of situation, and I'm thinking specifically of the original series here, um, if this kind of thing had happened to them, you know, they had, would be having meetings and they would be doing this and that and the other thing. And in this episode, um, they don't really do anything except stay on the bridge and Picard yells some orders out and Wesley disappears so um, the black red shirt can die, yeah. uh, which is, you know, hey, We're, all right. Yeah. Um, and it's so just... many close, so many close calls this season so far. And, you know, yet Wesley still doesn't die. Right. I mean, I, I, I think it was very, um, fortuitous that, that Wesley was the, uh, main cast member and, and, you know, he was replaced by a non-main cast member and that was the only non-main cast member on the bridge and he died. Mm. That, that was really, really well-timed, I thought. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, and, and the whole stuff with the USS Yamato and then beaming over to the ship yeah, and the whole bridge like... thing and stuff and it's just... It, it it's never explained and I don't necessarily have a problem with things that are not explained if they're just done in a really they're done yeah. in a really creepy fashion or done in a really interesting fashion um, we definitely have had things you know Star Trek very often yeah. more often than not you know doesn't make a whole lot of sense but I think at least it's internally consistent this episode is also internally consistent but it's just kind of there well, it goes again the scenes go along a little too long again every once you see the Nagilam is weird looking and it wasn't until the guy dies that I really started loving, liking this episode a lot more. And again, maybe the last 10, 15 minutes are effective. He dies in a really creepy looking fashion. The expression on his face in that position is disturbing. The way that suddenly Nagilam's face is locking all weird and suddenly it seems very inhuman and creepy is, is effective. Like, again, there were a lot of moments that were good, but I, it did take a little too long to get there. 
there. Yeah, it took a little too long to get there. And I think the other thing is that, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily know that there was much else that could be done about it, of course, because the reason why Nagilam decides to let them go is because, you know, Picard counts down to the last 10 seconds of the self-destruct. And um, I think Nagilam realizes that they, they would actually kill themselves rather than be killed by him. So that's to Picard's credit, I suppose. I mean, you get the sense um, that he's there to understand death and he's understood and it's a little more effort than he wants to, to actually deal. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, I guess maybe even figure like, a, maybe even the ship self-destructing would set him back a day in his research, you know, like, yeah, I suppose. Know? And I, I, I guess to me, it's, it's a little less interesting because if you look at what happened earlier in the episode with the Romulan warbird and they, you know, they fire one photon yeah. torpedo and it explodes and then they find the USS Yamato and they beam over yeah. there and there's no one else over there and they're walking around. They've got the, you know, um, Escher bridge thing going on with, with doors opening yeah. and other bridges and blah, 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 and et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, it's, it's all done kind of weirdly. And when the episode finally figures out what it's about, I think it's okay. But, um, you know, it takes, like you said, it takes too long to get there. And, and I think it's, it doesn't really have anything to say about death. It doesn't really have anything to say about life. It's just, we prefer to be alive. All right. I, mean, I do too, but that's yeah. not really something that you can like hinge a 45 minute episode of television on. I mean, um, part of the problem is the explanation for all of the weird things happening is that somebody created a bunch of weird stuff so that way the crew would be weirded out by it. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's just. It, you know, when they're talking about the properties of this thing and, oh, and it's also, no dimension, it, like that, that's a. That's kind of exploring a phenomenon, but the again the explanation to well the bridge goes onto the bridge goes onto the bridge is that somebody created a bridge that went onto the bridge. It's it's a little tautological. It's not really well, yeah, it is. And I think also you know the the thing is you say that right there where they're trying to you know Nagilam is trying to weird them out and um, you know. As these things go, Nagilam is kind of a lame, all-powerful entity in Star Trek. I mean, you know, he doesn't really do anything except conjure up a fake Romulan warbird and conjure up a fake Yamato. Listen, Oil Slick from a couple episodes back was a much more effective villain in terms of stuff he did. Yeah, like, how, how freaked out would you be if, like, there was a giant pink bunny rabbit outside the ship and it was just, like, trying to eat the ship or something? I mean, like, there could be a lot of things. And, of course, they couldn't do something like that on this budget. But I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of other weird things that they could have come up with. Not a weird, for, weird for its own sake stuff. And yeah, and it, it feels it feels like the kind of episode that was uh, hampered by a budget because it was supposed to be a bottle show. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, they obviously were just filming on on the same you know sets as they had built all the time. There were no new sets or anything, and so it just kind of feels like they were hampered. This could have been a really interesting psychedelic, creepy, weird episode, yeah. and instead we get this, which is not great. He notices that Pulaski's a woman, but not Troy. That was a weird moment. I don't think Troy was on the bridge. She at that was point. very much on the bridge. Oh, was I she? very specific. Like the, I, I very specifically noticed that moment when you know this one is different. But you know, no, Pulaski is a hot piece of ass. You know, um, no, and I, you know, and I think you know, speaking of Data and Nagilam, I think the 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 scene in Picard's quarters where he's listening to probably the most cliche music ever when you're about to die. Uh, <laughs> And then, you know, Troy comes in and they're trying to talk him out of um, blowing up the ship and Data's trying to talk him out of blowing up the ship. And, you know, it gives it gives Patrick Stewart a great moment to sort of, you know, give this great speech about life and what, what people think yeah. about the afterlife. And do you think?
think the afterlife exists and what is death and blah, blah, blah. And totally one of those cheesy speeches that if Patrick Stewart weren't saying it, it would be horrible. But, you know, yeah. any time, you know, he can pull off, you know, long-winded flowery speeches, you know, it, he works for it, you know. Uh, you know, but 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 I think you know what what do you think that scene serves in the episode? Does it serve any purpose at all? I mean, I'm trying to figure out what that does for Nagilum or what that does for Picard, and it doesn't seem to do anything for anybody. It just seems to be a way to kill four minutes. I mean, again, knowing that uh, knowing that Picard seems to, I I got I get the sense he realizes fairly quickly that this is actually Nagilum in some kind of disguise. And that he knows what he is saying is directly addressed to Nagilam. Um I mean, that makes it slightly more interesting. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, this is an episode that doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't add up to much. It's a bunch of stuff that happens. And maybe that was, you know, the last, you know, the child was a bunch of stuff that happened. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you look at these two episodes in conjunction, you're looking at two episodes that were kind of, you know, maybe rushed into production because of the writer's yeah. strike, and they, they weren't exactly... They thought um, about the mechanics of the plot, but not the meaning behind the mechanics, and yeah. where they took the most uh, 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 surface explanation or analysis of those mechanics. And I do, you know, I do find that the very end of Where Silence Has Lease, at least... At least comes across as someone who is engaging with the ideas of Star Trek in some fashion because, you know, Nagilam, you know, Picard very much says, oh, well, we can understand each other or whatever. And Nagilam is like, well, no, I understand you and we're not like each other. And, you know, you know, if I ever encounter you people again, like I'm going to do the same thing because that's what I do. And so in in a way, it's kind of thumbing its nose at the idea of of the next generation, which is peaceful cooperation. We can do anything we want as long as we talk to each other, blah, blah, blah. Um, It just doesn't really do anything with it. And it just kind of ends, which is a problem because I would like to have had one scene between Picard and Nagilam, which, you know, Picard really sold the ideas of the Federation or really sold the values of the Federation at least not to Nagilam, because that's not really the point. It's more to the audience. There isn't and... even the moment like where he explains the prime directive to Dr. Crusher or anything right, like that. Right. And I'm thinking about the conspiracy episode in which they do kill the alien and he, you know, is his speech at the end is about saying like, you know, normally we're trying to you know, protect life or understand life and I, you know, we've had no choice but to, you know, kill life and you know, you can tell he's very shaken by that, but he's and that it's been a not necessarily a blow to his philosophy, but certainly it doesn't sit comfortably with his philosophy. You know, all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, there doesn't seem to be any as much of that here. You would th- for Picard to to come up against a foe that he can't understand or that he has nothing in common with or that he'll never that who, who flat out says it's impossible to get along with. Is a weird thing for him. It's a weird thing for him, and I think also it's something that the show is uncomfortable yeah. dealing with, and so it doesn't deal with it. It just sort of pretends it doesn't exist in some way. Well, this um, is a show which declared a fight over in a, at a party, so I mean, this—that's kind of what's happening. I don't know what you're talking about. The the episode with Troy's mother when they're having the uh, oh. fight at the party, and Picard goes, "I declare this, fu-, you know, I declare this argument done," and 
it's done and it sweeps under the rug. Yeah, I, that's kind of what they're trying to do with this. Yeah, and I think that this is a good episode of the show kind of in its 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 mid-period before it gets good, if yeah. there is such a thing where, um, you know, where it's getting there, but it still isn't really quite there yet. And it, doesn't, it kind yeah. of recognizes its faults, but it doesn't know how to fix them yet. It doesn't go against the feel of Star Trek. It doesn't go against the ethos of Star Trek or the look of, you know, this is a perfectly serviceable Star Trek plot in a lot of ways. It is a serviceable Star Trek episode, and yet it's prevented possibly by, you know, the writer wasn't that, I don't know, because, I mean, you know, it, if, well, if, if he did this in Wrath of Khan, he must understand what... I, I think I think what what you know what the point here really is that he understood the characters in the original yeah. series, but but he didn't really get the next generation because nobody was getting the next generation at That's this point. That's true. You know what I mean? Like, so so you know the fact of the matter is it's a yeah. it's a well written script. Um, it's it's plotted well. I mean, you know the fact of the matter is there's not much plot here. Um, nothing really happens, but it's not boring. No, that does say something about the quality of the writing. I think. Oh yeah. That 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 he can make this situation interesting, um, even though really not a lot happens and there's not much action in the episode. But at the same time, you know, he doesn't get into the meat of anything because there really isn't any meat to get yet, right? Yeah. And I also don't get the sense that he's comfortable creating meat. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, so. Yeah, like, th- th- that, that's fine. You've got a well-written episode. Well, throw a bit of backbone into it. If this is still a blank slate, a lot still can be done with it. You can try stuff out. Again, the last couple episodes of the first season weren't necessarily good, but they were all trying very different angles to approach it with. And again, the, the Our Death episode wasn't necessarily successful. The Conspiracy episode wasn't necessarily successful, but they were trying something. I'm not sure. In a way, this seems like a lazy episode, maybe. Yeah, I can see that. Like, and... not in the not in the terms of what we're watching or what the characters are saying but there's no there there and it doesn't he didn't create didn't create any yeah i guess in a weird way you know as much as the last few episodes of the first season you know weren't very good um they were at least striving for something and and if they were any... bad in an enthusiastic way frankly yeah. yeah and if nothing else you know maybe it is a you know maybe it could be a bit um disheartening that the first two episodes of the second season yeah um are are sort of lackluster but they're not really trying either no the you know skin of evil again it has a that that was all the prop department and the voice casting sucked in that but you know even though skin of evil wasn't a great episode and you know maybe in 2013 it doesn't hold up as shocking but i tried to watch it as a contemporary viewer did and especially because i didn't know i didn't know what would happen in it and so Again, I was at least shocked by it. It at least did something to me. This, I guess, I didn't really have much of an emotional reaction to. And yeah, yeah. Even though it may have been a better written episode or a better done episode. Again, the Nagilam effects are better. They're much simpler. It's a very simple and obviously it's an inexpensive effect they used on him. But it's an effective one because he's... It's supposed to look like a distorted face, you know? He says, oh, I tried to look like you people and didn't work out. And 
at first it looks kind of funny, and then when he starts, you know, when he kills the guy, it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, isn't this entire episode Wesley's fault? Because isn't every episode Wesley's fault? Well, remember when they first encounter the hole in space, uh, and they launch a probe, and Wesley says that he thinks he can chart yeah. the outside of the of the hole, and he can he can he thinks he can move closer yeah, 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 to yeah. it, and that's when they get captured by it. So, um, if Wesley had not recommended that they move closer to it, they may not have had this happen. That's so I just wanted true. to make that point. And so maybe Wesley disappears because Picard realized that and sent him to his room without supper. Mm. He didn't get to play with any space puppies that day. No, he didn't. Uh, Give this one a three. It would have gotten five, but it's getting four. All right. Well, next week, we continue our trek (laughs) into the second season of The Next Generation by talking about elementary dear data. Hmm. Yeah, I can tell you're excited. And the outrageous Ocona. Oh, right. That exists oh god it's gonna be one of those weeks isn't it yep we'll see you then